Bookshelf Battlecast, episode 004, The Hound of the Baskervilles, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, chapter 1. Oh yeah, it's the Bookshelf Q Battler Show. Bookshelf Q Battler Show. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Bookshelf Battlecast with your host, Bookshelf Q Battler, a world-renowned Poindexter, an accomplished nerd adventurer, a reviewer of pop cultural happenings, and a champion Yeti fighter. He's coming to you from Bookshelf Q Battler headquarters in fabulous East Random Town, USA, and he's ready to discuss self-publishing, books, movies, pop culture, and anything else that grabs his attention. But first, here's not a celebrity. To introduce the one and only Bookshelf Q Battler. Bookshelf Q Battler. Hello, this is not Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States of America. No, this is not Donald J. Trump at all. And I just wanted to say that Bookshelf J. Battler is a huge loser. Huge. A big league, low energy loser who is totally selling us out to China. I'm telling you, BQB should get down on his hands and knees and smooch my rear end for even appearing on this dopey podcast in the first place. You know, I heard that the Bookshelf Battlecast only has 3.5 listeners, but thanks to me, not Donald J. Trump, the greatest president in the history of presidents. BQB is going to get 3.5 billion listeners, I'm telling you. That's right. BQB's stupid loser podcast is going to get the highest ratings that it's ever seen. But will BQB even thank me? No. Because the man is a total ingrate. Sad. It's really sad. You know what? BQB doesn't even deserve to have that many listeners, okay? It's a total waste of space, believe me. Total waste of space. Many people agree with me on this point, by the way. They say, not Donald J. Trump. Do you know which podcast is a total waste of space? They say that. They really do. And I say, no, who? And then they tell me. They really do. They tell me, Bookshelf Q Battler. I haven't been saying it. I haven't been saying it. But believe me, people have been saying it. I mean, who is this weirdo nerd anyway? Podcasting about how he's a magic bookshelf caretaker who fights zombies and werewolves and vampires and aliens and so on. I mean, who does this moron think he is? I don't even think he's been on half of the adventures that he claims to have been on. Fake news, I'm telling you. Fake news, you hear me? The Bookshelf Battlecast is big league fake news. Don't listen to it, I'm telling you. You'll lose all of your brain cells, it's a fact. In fact, I'm going to build a wall around the Bookshelf Battlecast and make the Bookshelf Q Battler pay for it. I am. Only then can we make podcasting great again. Well, hello there. Hello, 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 3.5 listeners out there in listener land. It's your old pal Bookshelf Q Battler here, broadcasting against the forces of evil and the forces of boredom, straight from Bookshelf Q Battler headquarters in fabulous East Random Town, USA. Tweet me at Bookshelf Battle. Follow me on Facebook at Bookshelf Q Battler. Find my 
illustrious, wonderful blog on the interwebs located at bookshelfbattle.com. Just type into your web browser of your choice. I prefer uh, Chrome, but you can use any kind of internet browser. Maybe you use Firefox. Maybe you use, um, what do they call the Microsoft one now? Microsoft Edge? I don't know. Whatever browser you want to use, type in bookshelfbattle.com and you'll find my wonderful, hilarious, I say so myself website, bookshelfbattle.com. So it is almost the end of April. Time flies when you're having fun. And I have promised my 3.5 listeners and my 3.5 readers that I would do a podcast once a month for the entire year of 2018. And uh, I haven't failed yet, though I let it go a while this month right down to the wire. And so I'm going to get this one in right under the goalpost, over the goalpost. I don't know. I don't do sports. I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. I'm a dweeb. I'm a poindexter. I watch Walking Dead and all sorts of nerdy stuff, and I play video games and all these things that, uh, you know, you do if you're a geek. So, anyway, where was I? I, um, I'm so late this month in getting this podcast out because I took a lovely trip to Florida this month. I went down to Orlando, Central Florida, and I checked out Disney World. I checked out Universal Studios. I prefer Universal Studios. Well, it depends. I like, I love movies. In fact, I do a lot of movie reviews on my website. Um, So if you ever want to know what movie you should watch, check that out. Um, But I, I, I like the studio parks, so I, I do like um, Hollywood Studios at Disney. I'm, I'm so old that I know it as MGM Studios. I'll probably still always call it MGM Studios, but it was Hollywood Studios now. Or it is, rather, Hollywood Studios now. Um, so uh, I like the two studio parks, Hollywood Studios and uh, Universal Studios. Um, but... Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of cool stuff to see down there. And even if you don't go to Disney, I, you know, I, I went off the beaten path and checked out Florida a little bit. A lot of cool stuff. I love the weather there. Uh, so it, it was nice when I was down there. I don't know. I assume at certain parts of the year it gets real hot. And I assume there's uh, other things. You know, every place that you live has its ups and downs. The good news is the weather. The bad news is you, you probably have... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how good the chance is, but uh, a greater chance of getting eaten by an alligator. But uh, I don't know. So be on the lookout for alligators if you're in Florida. Then again, you could be looking out for alligators anywhere in the world, really. You know, if you're if you're in Idaho, maybe the alligator just uh, jumps out of a bush and tries to surprise you. Anyway. That's enough for me attempting to have a personality and to be a spontaneous person. So, 
without further ado, I am going to read you in my melodious, melodious voice, Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I am a fan of Sherlock Holmes. Elementary, my dear Watson, as he would say. And uh, this is by the, the late, great Arthur Conan Doyle, a uh, fancy British man. And uh, it's in the public domain. I, I feel like, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to research it. But I feel like maybe there was like some a court case or some sort of legal issue going on with the copyright of... Um, uh, uh, Doyle's works on Sherlock Holmes, and but at any rate, um, Hound of the Baskervilles is public domain. I know that, so I'm just going to read chapter one. And if anybody likes my reading, feel free to uh, find me on the interwebs on uh, social media. And if you want me to continue, I'll keep reading it. And if not, uh, maybe I'll move on to something else to read. Because that's what I do on this podcast. I read stuff in the public domain. And maybe one day I'll change the podcast to something else. But for now, I'm going to do that. I know last month in March I did a podcast, How to Start a Blog. And I re-listened to it the other day. And I was like, ugh, I'm even bored myself. So uh, I think maybe until... I get some uh, more vocal skills, work on my voice talent a little bit, um, or a lot. Um, I'll probably just stick to stick to reading of public domain material. By the way, I just hiccuped up it in the microphone. I don't know if you heard it. And also, I don't know if you hear it, you probably do. I'm washing my dishes in the background because we have high production values here at BQB headquarters in fabulous East Random Town. I'm a man on the run. I'm constantly doing something. I always have like seven or eight things I have to get to. I got, pay, got places to go, people to see, stuff to do. And so just I, I put my dishes in the dishwasher and I sat down to do the podcast and I thought, oh, maybe I should... Maybe I should stop the dishwasher, and then I was like, nope, I got to get my dishes washed, and I got to do this podcast, and this very second right now at this exact time is my only time to do both, so I said it's unacceptable that I have dirty dishes or that I have a podcast not done, so I'm going to do both, and like the 3.5 people listening to this can listen to me talk and wash my dishes. If it was like 350 people listening, then yeah, I'd probably either turn my dishwasher off or go to a different room where a dishwasher wasn't running. But since it's only 3.5 people, and honestly, that's a generous estimate. I don't even think one person is listening to this. Um, you know, then I, I guess I can have lower production values. So anyway, all right, chapter one, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes 
who was usually very late in the mornings, save upon those not infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. I stood upon the hearth rug and picked up the stick which our visitor had left behind him the night before. It was a fine, thick piece of wood, bulbous-headed, of the sort which is known as a Penang lawyer. Just under the head was a broad silver band nearly an inch across, to James Mortimer, M.R.C.S., from his friends of the C.C.H., was engraved upon it with the date 1884. It was just such a stick as the old-fashioned family practitioner used to carry, dignified, solid, and reassuring. Well, Watson, what do you make of it? Holmes was sitting with his back to me, and I had given him no sign of my occupation. How did you know what I was doing? I believe you have eyes in the back of your head. I have at least a well-polished silver-plated coffee pot in front of me, said he. But tell me, Watson, what do you make of our visitor's stick, since we have been so unfortunate as to miss him and have no notion of his errand? This accidental souvenir becomes of importance. Let me hear you reconstruct the man by an examination of it. I think, said I, following as far as I could the methods of my companion, that Dr. Mortimer is a successful elderly medical man, well esteemed since those who know him give him this mark of their appreciation. Good, said Holmes. Excellent. I think also that the probability is in favor of his being a country practitioner who does a great deal of his visiting on foot. Why so? Because this stick, though originally a very handsome one, has been so knocked about that I can hardly imagine a town practitioner carrying it. The thick iron ferrule is worn down, so it is evident that he has done a great amount of walking with it. Perfectly sound, said Holmes. And then again, there is the Friends of the CCH. I should guess that to be the something hunt. The local hunt to whose members he has possibly given some surgical assistance, and which has made him a small presentation in return. Really, Watson, you excel yourself, said Holmes, pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette. I am bound to say that in all the accounts which you have been so good as to give of my own small achievements, you have habitually underrated your own abilities. It may be that you are not yourself luminous, but you are a conductor of light. Some people, without possessing genius, have a remarkable power of stimulating it. I confess, my dear fellow, that I am very much in your debt. He had never as much before, and I must admit that his words... He <clears throat> Try this again. He had never said as much before, and I must admit that his words gave me keen pleasure, for I had often been piqued by his indifference to my admiration and to the attempts which I had made to give publicity to his methods. I was proud, too, to think that I had so far mastered his system as to apply it in a way which earned his approval. He now took the stick from my hands and examined it for a few minutes with his naked eyes. Then, with an expression of interest, he laid down his cigarette and carried the cane to the window. He looked over it again with a convex lens. 
Interesting, though elementary, said he as he returned to his favorite corner of the city. There are certainly one or two indications upon the stick. It gives us the basis for several deductions. Has anything escaped me? I asked with some self-importance. I trust there is nothing of consequence which I have overlooked. I am afraid, my dear Watson, that most of your conclusions were erroneous. When I said that you stimulated me, I meant, to be frank, that in noting your fallacies I was occasionally guided towards the truth. Not that you are entirely wrong in this instance. The man is certainly a country practitioner, and he walks a good deal. Then I was right. To that extent, but that was all. No, no, my dear Watson, not all. No, by no means all. I would suggest, for example, that a presentation to a doctor is more likely to come from a hospital than from a hunt, and that when the initial CC are placed before the hospital, the words Charing Cross very naturally suggest themselves. You may be right. The probability lies in that deduction. And if we take this as a working hypothesis, we have a fresh basis from which to start our construction of this unknown visitor. Well then, supposing that CCH does stand for Charing Cross Hospital, what further inferences may we draw? Do none suggest themselves? You know my methods? Man, apply them. I can only think of the obvious conclusion that the man has practice in town before going to the country. I think that we may venture a little farther from this. Look, in, look at it in this light. On what occasion would it be most probable that such a presentation would be made? When would his friends unite to give him a pledge of their goodwill? Obviously at the moment when Dr. Mortimer withdrew from the service of the hospital in order to start a practice for himself. We know there has been a presentation. We believe there has been a change from a town hospital to a country practice. Is it then stretching our inference too far to say that the presentation was on the occasion of the change? It certainly seems probable. Now you will observe that he could not have been on the staff of the hospital since only a man well established in a London practice could hold such a position and such a, and such a one would not drift into the country. Was he then, if he was in the hospital and yet not on the staff, he could only have been a house surgeon or a house physician, little more than a senior student. And he let five years ago, the date is on the stick. So your grave, middle-aged family practitioner vanishes into thin air, my dear Watson. And there emerges a young fellow under 30, amiable, unambitious, absent-minded, and the possessor of a favorite dog, which I would describe roughly as being larger than a terrier and smaller than a mastiff. I laughed incredulously as Sherlock Holmes leaned back in the city and blew little wavering rings of smoke up to the ceiling. As to the latter part, I have no means of checking you, said I, but at least it is not difficult to find out a few particulars about the man's age and professional career. From my small medical shelf, I took down the medical dictionary and turned up the name. <clears throat> There were several more Mortimers, but only one who could be our visitor. I read his record aloud. Mortimer James, MRCS, 1882, Grimpen, Dartmoor, Devon. House surgeon from 1882 to 1884 at Charing Cross Hospital. Winner of the Jackson Prize for Comparative Pathology, where the essay entitled Is Disease a Reversion? Corresponding member of the Swedish Pathological Society, 
author of Some Freaks of Atavism, Lancet, 1882, Dewey Progress, Journal of Psychology, March, 1883, Medical Officer for the Parishes of Grimpen, Thorsley, and Highbarrow. No mention of that local hunt, Watson said Holmes with a mischievous smile, but a country doctor, as you were very astutely observed, I think that I am fairly justified in my inferences as to the adjectives, I said, if I remember right, amiable, unambitious, and absent-minded. It is my experience that it is only an amiable man in this world who would receive testimonials, only an unambitious one who abandons a London career for the country, and only an absent-minded one who leaves his stick and not his visiting card after waiting an hour in your room. And the dog? has been in the habit of carrying this stick behind his master. Being a heavy stick, the dog has held it tightly by the middle, and the marks of his teeth are very plainly visible. The dog's jaw is shown in the space between these marks. It was too broad, in my opinion, for a terrier, and not broad enough for a mastiff. It may have been, yes, by Jove, it is a curly-haired spaniel. He had risen and paced the room as he spoke. Now he halted in the recess of the window. There was such a ring of conviction in his voice that I glanced up in surprise. My dear fellow, how can you be so possibly sure of that? For the very simple reason that I see the dog himself on our very doorstep, and there is the ring of its owner. Don't move, I beg you, Watson. He is a professional brother of yours, and your presence may be of assistance to me. Now is the dramatic moment of fate, Watson, when you hear a step upon the stair which is walking into your life, and you know not whether for good or ill. What does Dr. James Mortimer, the man of science, ask of Sherlock Holmes, the specialist in crime, come in? The appearance of our visitor was a surprise to me, since I had expected a typical country practitioner, who was a very tall, thin man with a no long nose like a beak, which jutted out between two keen gray eyes set closely together and a sparkling brightly from behind a pair of gold-rimmed glasses, he was clad in a professional but rather slovenly fashion, for his frock coat was dingy and his trousers frayed. Though young, his long black, his long back was already bowed, and he was walked with a forward thrust of his head and a general air of peering benevolence. As he entered, his eyes fell upon the stick in Holmes' hand, and he ran towards it with an exclamation of joy. I am so very glad, said he. I was not sure whether I had left it here or in the shipping office. I would not lose that stick for the world. A presentation, I see, said Holmes. Yes, sir. From Charing Cross Hospital? From one or two friends there on the occasion of my marriage. Dear, dear, that's bad, said Holmes, shaking his head. Dr. Mortimer blinked through his glasses in mild astonishment. Why was it bad? Why that you have disarranged our little deductions. Your marriage, you say? Yes, sir, I am married, and so left the hospital with and with it all hopes of a consulting practice. It was necessary to make a home of my own. Come, come, we are not so far wrong after all, said Holmes, and now Dr. James Mortimer. Mr. Sir, Mr. A humble MRCS, and a man of precise mind, evidently. A dabbler in science, Mr. Holmes, a picker-up of shells on the shores of the great unknown ocean. I presume that it is Mr. Sherlock Holmes whom I am addressing and not... No, this is my dear friend, Dr. Watson. Glad to meet you, sir. I have heard your name mentioned in connection with that of your friend. You interest me very much, Mr. Holmes. I had hardly expected so 
thalcephalic a skull or such well-marked supraorbital development. Would you have any objection to my running a finger along your parietal fissure? A cast of your skull, sir, until the original is available, would be an ornament to any anthropological museum. It is not my intention to be fulsome, but I confess that I covet your skull. Sherlock Holmes waved our strange visitor into a chair. You are an enthusiast, you are enthusiast in your line of thought, I perceive, sir, as I am in mine, said he. I observe from your forefinger that you make your own cigarettes. Have no hesitation in lighting one. The man drew out paper and tobacco and twirled the one up and the other with surprising dexterity. He had long, quivering fingers as agile and rest as the antenna of an insect. Holmes was silent, but his little darting glances showed me the interest which he took in our curious companion. I presume, sir, said he at last, that it was not merely for the purpose of examining my skull that you have done me the honor to call here last night and again today. No, sir, no, though I am happy to have had the opportunity of doing that as well. I came to you, Mr. Holmes, because I recognize that I am myself an unpractical man and because I am suddenly confronted with the most serious and extraordinary problem, recognizing, as I do, that you are the second highest expert in Europe. Indeed, sir, may I inquire who has the honor to be first? asked Holmes with some asperity. To the man of precisely scientific mind, the work of Monsieur Bétillon must always appear strongly. Then had you better not consult him? I said, sir, to the precisely scientific mind, but as a man of practical affairs, it is acknowledged that you stand alone. I trust, sir, that I have not inadvertently. Just a little, said Holmes. I think, Dr. Mortimer, you would do wisely if you, without further ado, you would kindly tell me, plainly, what the exact nature of the problem is in which you demand my assistance. Hmm. Well, 3.5 readers, that is it for chapter one. Chapter uno is done. It is read. It is in the can of my podcast. So let's take a little bit of time here. Discuss what happened. I am an aspiring writer, and I hope you are an aspiring writer too. Usually readers and lovers of books are also aspiring writers. So, as aspiring writers know that you're supposed to show and not tell. Show, don't tell, they say. So, in this, um, in this first chapter, we learn that Sherlock Holmes is a great deducer of facts. He can take the smallest, you know, seemingly insignificant thing and look at it and find a lot of, a lot of information and clues and, and make some deductions about something. To the average person, they go into a waiting room of an office and they see a walking stick lying there. They'll probably just say, oh, it's just a, you know, a walking stick. Somebody left it behind. Maybe they'll come back later to get it. Um, you know, who knows who owns it. But if you, you know, study it like Holmes and, and Watson do, um, you might find out some things about the owner. 
And so perhaps that's a lesson for life that, you know, there are so many things around us that seem so trivial, yet if, if we really focus, we can find some some inner meaning, some, some details that we missed. You know, most of the time we're all hustling and bustling and hurrying around with our own hectic lives that we don't take the time to look at things carefully. And sometimes, you know, when we're trying to figure something out, if we just, you know, slow down and study something, we can really figure it out. You know, look at all, you know, just by looking at the walking stick, how much um, Holmes was able to do. We learn a little bit about Holmes's um, character and demeanor. Holmes is, Holmes is very full of himself. He's uh, quite fond of himself. He, he really is very confident in his abilities. You know, he believes he's the greatest uh, detective in England, perhaps in Europe. You know, um, Mortimer says he's that Holmes is the number two detective in Europe, and Holmes is a little a little hurt by that. <clears throat> um, he's, you know, Watson is the narrator of the story, and that you know. If you ever read Sherlock Holmes, that that I I don't know, I think that happens sometimes in friendships. There's or any kind of relationship. There's there's one person who's you know the I don't know the gadfly, the um, the uh, person who's you know they think they're all that, and then there's the person who kind of hangs back and just says yeah yeah whatever, strokes that person's ego. Maybe to themselves, they're like, oh, God, I can't believe this, this guy's so full of himself. But uh, I don't know. Have you ever had a, had a friendship like that? You know, what, what do you think? Is that is, is there a little Holmes and Watson in any kind of a friendship? A little Holmes dynamic and a little Watson dynamic? Tweet me at Bookshelf Battle and tell me if you think there's a little Holmes and Watson in every kind of uh, friendship. But, um, you know, you see the part in the beginning... Um, let me, let me, I'd like to get the exact quote, so let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, dun, 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 dun. How, where, how, where is it? There was a part in the beginning. Where they're looking at this walking stick with Holmes's waiting room. And I'm trying to, sorry to bore you here, I'm just, I just want to find the, oh, okay, here it is. Really, Watson, you excel yourself, said Holmes, pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette. I am bound to say that in all the accounts which you have been so good as to give of my own small achievements, you have habitually underrated your own abilities. And may be that you are not yourself luminous, but you are a conductor of light. Some people without possessing genius have a remarkable power of stimulating it. I confess, my dear fellow, that I am very much in your debt. And so that's, that's you know, the, the most passive-aggressive compliment of, of like, forever, right? Um, he, Holmes is basically saying, you're not a genius, Watson, but you you stimulate my genius. And Watson, you know what you know what does Watson say? He this is what Watson says. He had never said as much before 
and I must admit that his words gave me keen pleasure, for I had often been piqued by his indifference to my, my admiration and to the attempts which I had made to give publicity to his methods. I was proud, too, to think that I had so far mastered his system as to apply it in a way which earned his approval. He now took the stick from my hands and examined it for a few minutes with his naked eyes. So, I don't know. what I mean, Watson's smart. Uh, you know, I mean, he's no dummy. He, you know, he's... You know, I, I don't know if he gets that that's a backhanded compliment or, you know, like a... You know, a compliment paired with an insult. <clears throat> um, there was one other quote I wanted to read. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, can I find it? Can I find it? Can I find it? Talk amongst yourselves. Don't let me keep you waiting. Talk about the weather. Oh, where is it? Where is that quote? I should have... Lack of preparation on my part. High production values. There's my washing machine going. Oh, I can't find it. But anyway, oh, here it is, here it is, I just found it. Ah! Okay. Has anything escaped me? I asked with some self-importance. This is Watson talking. I trust that there is nothing of consequence which I have overlooked. And then, and then um, this is Sherlock Holmes talking now. I am afraid, my dear Watson, that most of your conclusions were erroneous. When I said that you stimulated me, I meant, to be frank, that in noting your fallacies, I was occasionally guided towards the truth. Not that you were entirely wrong in this instance, this man is a, certainly a country practitioner, and he walks a good deal. So, yeah, just spot out. I just gave you the backhanded compliment. I threw some shade on you, Watson. Uh, you know, that's like I don't know. Like it's a, like Sherlock Holmes is kind of catty, isn't he? Like you know, like sometimes you know women will be talking and they'll have these passive aggressive compliments for each other. You know, like oh. That dress doesn't make you look as fat as you are, or something like that. You know, I don't know what 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 some catty things that you know women say to each other. Um, you know, Watson's basically, you know, at first he's saying, you know, you know, Holmes, you are, you know, Watson, you're you're you're, you're you know, Watson, you're not the light. But you're you're you know you're not a genius you know you, because you don't have the light but you you're a stimulator of light you're conductor of light you you make me have the light and then the and then he's kind of basically going on with that last quote he's basically saying you know Watson by all the things you got wrong when you were analyzing the stick it made me think about what the right conclusions are so it's like. 
you know, imagine you're trying to solve a problem and you and your friend are trying to solve a problem and, and your, your friend gets like, you know, nine attempts to solve the problem wrong and then by, you know, looking at those nine wrong attempts, you say, oh, it finally comes to me and I got the right answer now because, you know, you, you got all the wrong ones so now the right right answer is obvious to me. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Holmes is kind of like a genius, I guess, but he, uh, he I, I'm, I'm sure he loves Watson and I'm sure he considers his friendship very valuable and everything, but... He just kind of, you know, dissed him, you know, by, by basically saying, you know, Watson, I'm, I'm the light, but I'm the light, but you turn me on. Ooh, I wonder if there's some, uh, you know, underlying, um, stuff, stuff going on, uh, where Holmes and Watson, uh, what's... Can I, I don't know, everything's so politically correct now. Can I ask a question over Holmes and Watson homosexuals? Do they still use the word homosexual? Is that the, the correct term? I don't know. I, I don't think they are. I'm just I'm just kidding. But uh, oh, I don't know. If anybody listened to this podcast, they'd probably get angry letters. But, um, oh, and I should also say, um, not, not that there's anything wrong with that by, as a, uh, Jerry Seinfeld would say. So, uh, anyway, that's basically what I got out of this, that, uh, it, it establishes some character development. It gives you an insight to Holmes's method that Holmes basically analyzes everything. He sees little details where people wouldn't, don't even bother to look. And he can, you know, what you might see as just a walking stick left in a corner. Holmes can look at it and, you know, he sees, he sees, you know, like scuff marks on the bottom of it. So he knows that the guy walks a lot and he sees bite marks on it. So he knows that a dog must be carrying it. And if a dog's carrying the stick, then it must mean um, that the person has the ability to walk without the stick so it's probably a younger person because if it was an old man he probably wouldn't have his dog carry the stick for him sometimes the old man would be using the stick all the time and then you know um just the little things like you know Holmes sees the letter CCH and he he thinks H will hospital so you know uh, you know and then what's uh, CC, um, you know, that goes with the word hospital? Oh, Charing Cross Hospital. And then he kind of does some deductions and he's like, well, if this is, you know, if this is a young man, then it must be, you know, if it's a young man who had a position in, in London and he's left it then he's probably not very ambitious because, you know, who wouldn't want a big city professional job? Um, so, you know, there you go. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, that might be, and, you know, that could be something you could apply to your own life, you know, if you're trying to figure something out. 
you know, don't just give it a cursory glance, really, um, you know, get into the meat of the matter, really study and focus and what details are you missing that can solve your problem. But uh, that's basically it. That's all I got from reading this first chapter. If you got anything else, feel free to feel free to let me know. Tweet me at Bookshelf Battle. Find me on Facebook at Bookshelf Q Battler or uh, find me at BookshelfBattle.com. All right, so that's it for the April episode of this podcast. I'll see you again in May. Till then, uh, be cool, be awesome, and read a book. Tell me what books you're reading. See you later, 3.5 readers. I'm off now to uh, save the world with my best friend, Alien Jones, and to fight my arch nemesis, the Yeti, the incredibly fuzzy, boring snow, snow monster. Have a nice day. I'm going to go see if my dishes are done now. I can eat off them. I'll have pizza. I love pizza. In a world where you could have listened to any podcast, literally any podcast at all, you chose to listen to the Bookshelf Battlecast instead. What were you thinking? What are you, a shut-in with too much time on your hands or something? I mean, seriously, there wasn't a nice wall with a fresh coat of paint drying on it that you could have watched instead? Oh, well, screw it. It's your time. You waste it however you like. If you actually enjoyed listening to BQB's nonsense, then you're in luck. This summer and all year round, you can check out bookshelfbattle.com, where it's one nerd against the forces of evil. Read on as Bookshelf Q Battler, a world-renowned poindexter, an epic nerdventurer, a reviewer of pop culture happenings, and a champion yeti fighter uses his ultra-manly kung fu skills against zombies, vampires, werewolves, chupacabras, and, yes, even ill-tempered hipsters. Bookshelf Q Battler is such a macho bastard that he can grate cheese with his chest hair. Women want to be with Bookshelf Q Battler. Men want to be Bookshelf Q Battler. And I'm not just saying that because Bookshelf Q Battler paid me. Seriously, I really want to be him. Please pray for me. Visit bookshelfbattle.com today.